Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. We are back on the floor of the San Diego Comic-Con International, live from the belly of the beast, uh, the pop culture beast. Uh, and I'm here talking with Scott Westerfield. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with him. Uh, best-selling author, um, YA gra- novels, uh, and now graphic novels. So you've done some comics in the past, haven't you? Well, there were two yeah. uh, of these graphic novels. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. were actually written by Devin Grayson, but I did uh, consult with her and I outlined them and we worked together. Wasn't that book Shay's Story? Yeah, Shay's Story was one of those. Yeah, Basically, yeah, okay. Basically, the yeah. series yeah. told from Shay's point of view. And... The story, actually, of that has to do with Spill Zone, because 10 ah. years ago, I came up with this idea, and I sent a script that I'd started on uh, to some comics friends of mine, and they gently explained to me the things that were wrong with it, ah. and I realized, I don't know how to write comics, but maybe I could trick somebody into teaching me how to write comics and uh, pay me money guy. for it, <laughs> and I could leverage my, you know, my ah. ugly novels. So I sold ugly novels to Del Rey Manga and got them to hire Del, uh, Devin Grayson, who is a uh-huh. genius of Batman mm-hmm. fame and many uh-huh. other comics. And so I basically got someone to pay me to learn how to write comics from Devin Grayson, and that's how I wound up writing Still Zone. Oh, this is great. Uh, uh, I'm just going to interject. Welcome to more to come. (laughs) (laughs) But that's fine. That's that's just how we roll here. Well, that's very good. I I love backstory. I love an exposition. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I love so um, so I love it. So you you kind of you you attached just you you sold the rights, then you attached yourself to the problem to learn how to do it at a later date. Exactly. Ah, that's it. Well, there you go. That's why you're a bestseller. <laughs> You've got a plan. Uh, well, uh, Spill Zone now, it, well, it's, well, as you're saying, it's related to some of the other things you've done. Um, or is it? Uh, no, it's, it's all original. This is a re- completely original. It's only book. related in the sense right. that I you know, used my previous uh, comics to, um, to leverage okay. my ability to do so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, tell us about. It, I mean, it's uh, you know, I, just, I read it a couple of days ago. Uh, really uh, drew me in. Creepy, um, post-apocalyptic. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything in it. Um, uh, a, a creepy relationship. Um, tell us more about what, what's what's happening. So um, basically, it's set three years after um, this twenty-year-old woman's Addison's hometown was destroyed by a mysterious event. No one knows what the spill was. Whether it was like an alien visitation or a nanotech accident or a Cthulhu just spilling over from another world, something happened, wiped out this town. The laws of physics are different there now. Very few people made it out. Uh, her parents disappeared, and her little sister was one of the few uh, people who made it out. But nobody knows how they did because none of them have spoken since. So now Addison, who's 20, lives with her 12 year old little sister, who's named Lexa, who's silent. Who, um, and they live on the outskirts of the zone, which is walled off and guarded by the National Guard because mm-hmm. stuff is still strange in there, yes. in their hometown. And how she supports them is she sneaks into the zone at night and takes photographs. And she originally started doing mm-hmm. this as a way to like solve what happened to her hometown and mm-hmm. try to figure out what happened to her parents and if they're still alive in there somehow. Mm-hmm. But, um, but what she's discovered is that there's this actual market for images from the mm-hmm. zone. And so she's found these collectors who have this sort of macabre fascination with the weirdness that's going on in there. And she, um, so she's, she's become like an outlaw artist. Yeah. She mm-hmm. sneaks in and sells these illegal... And, and what's cool about it is that, like, 
most art, most photography now is digital, it's reproducible, it's infinitely scattered on the web. But this stuff is actually illegal. Yeah. So she's selling originals to, to actual collectors who just want to yeah. be the only one to own this photograph. So it's about, it's, it's not just about, um, you know, solving this, you know, this mystery of what happened to her and losing her family and all that mm -hmm. stuff. It's also about making art. Yeah. Uh, well, I love the way you bring in the, the shadow art market uh, into the book as well as, as a player. And obviously the, um, more of that shows up and the collectors show up later uh, in the book as well. Yeah. Well, I think any artist ultimately becomes influenced by their collectors, sure. and by, their, mm -hmm. by, by their fans, by their customers, by whoever's consuming your art. Mm -hmm. You ultimately start reacting to that. Sure. And so, as I said, she started this process to find out, to understand the zone. Mm -hmm. But now she has collectors who are like, yeah, some more pictures of this. I want a picture mm -hmm. of this. And of course, the, the sort of initiating incident of the, of the story is a collector pays her an unusually large amount of money to go get something from the zone. Like to bring something out that's yes. not just a photograph, yes. but an actual physical object. So that's, that's mean, something she's never done before. I mean, at one point, there's the sense that there's some... You know, radioactive, but it, but it's all it's obviously something more, or something that you can't really put put a, a specific name to. Yeah, in the, the zone. Yeah, the, the zone is itself. Um, Samuel R. Delaney says mm -hmm. that uh, science fiction is best when the setting is a character. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. You know, but when you talk about a science fiction mm -hmm. book, you always say. Well, it's set in this future where, or on this planet where, mm -hmm. or in this society where. Like, the word where figures heavily when you yes. talk about SF. And I've always tried to make my books, uh, the settings of my books, feel like they have a personality, like Tally's yeah. City and Ugly's, mm -hmm. has an agenda. Yeah. It has a motivation. It wants you mm -hmm. to be a certain way. And the rest of the story flows out of that, the character of the setting. So the zone in Spill Zone is a setting that has its own weird personality. Yeah. Like those little... You'll see in Alex Pugon's wonderful art. Yes, we the, have to mention the artists. Like yes. the, the floating bowling pins yeah. and the um, you know the, the rats that stack up rocks and make little piles of rocks. Yeah, there's, there's, there's almost as if they're sort of site-specific sculptures or events yeah. or performances right. in the zone. Yeah, she calls them the zone's little projects, and uh, she's especially wary yes. of disturbing them. So the zone itself seems to have some kind of agenda mm. and a personality and a quirkiness. But an unknowable one because yes. it's just so very, very weird. And and speaking of the artists, um, how did you how how did you pair off with the artist? Because and 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 there's a colorist too, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. Because uh, that's another thing about the zone. You enter into a whole different kind of value. Oh my gosh. Scheme so, when you so originally when I wrote the script, I said that the that the real world would be black and white, mm -hmm. and the zone would be in color because I thought that would be sort of like a nice old Wizard of Oz movie, yeah. mm -hmm. and it would be really cool. But then my colorist was like, you know what? Why don't we do the regular world with regular colors, and then just go nuts when we do the colors yeah. for the zone? And like, it's a it is really the most some of the most astonishing color yeah. work I've ever seen. And sometimes when you're in the zone, just as you're turning the pages, the entire, like when she goes from one room to the next, yes. to one ceiling to the next, the entire palette will change radically. And your eyes almost have to adjust. It's like going from a, from a dark room out into the sun, yeah. Yeah. Where, you're, where you're just sort of like baffled. And it's like, yeah. my eyes did not evolve to, to look at these colors. <laughs> like you're on a different planet. And, and so, so Hilary Sycamore has done just like this amazing job of making the zone really deeply uncomfortable yes. <laughs> place to be in, which it should be because yeah. like she's always on edge and there's always these dangers and the physics are wrong and the, yes. you know, so 
So it's great work on Hillary Sicaro's part as well as Alex's. Yeah. So how did you um, how did you come together with the artists? Did you work through First Second, or did you have your own artist in mind? First Second was, uh, you know, I, I gave them the script and they guided me through a lot of editorial changes mm -hmm. and, and lengthening it. And they were suggested Alex. We yeah. did try a lot of people from a lot of different places, but Alex was somebody who they had worked with before as a DreamWorks animator, and uh -huh. he um, and he has also worked on something called Templar, uh, which was a, a big, huge project for, oh, yeah, uh, for it, First Second. Yeah, it was a it was an, an adaptation from a game, isn't it? Or am no, I no, wrong? No, no. no, Templar is uh, it's the Knights Templar. Yeah, uh, uh, it might be. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just seem to remember that, but I could be wrong. So, you know, and Hillary had worked with them before as well. So, uh, so they, they brought all the artists to the party in the end. They gave me a lot of consultation, but like, you know, like I said, I, this, I, this is my first real from scratch graphic novel, so I let them uh, mostly call the shots yeah, on that yeah. stuff, and they made, did amazing choices. Uh, I, I, I am curious about the writing because, I mean, there are parts of the book where you're building mood, you're building tension, uh, and there, there isn't much text at all. Uh, so I'm, I'm always curious how a writer works with an artist uh, when essentially I guess the artist is saying, well, you know, maybe you can hold back a little bit. You know, I'll take it from here. Well, once I started to actually see um, Alex's art and realize how great it was, I realized every word I write is actually covering something up. <laughs> well, <laughs> so when I have a need to write a lot, I will write a lot to Alex. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, it's true. Quite often I would have like a reaction shot of, of, of you know Addison seeing something and it's like you know this is the most amazing blah, 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 like and, and she's thinking a lot or saying a lot and then like I would see Alex draw it and I would just change her line to wow because <laughs> well, that's, that like wow yeah, sure. with not even an explanation but just a period because that the reader uh, that's what the reader's saying yeah, the sure. reader has it's already there and it was really fun cutting it down and, yeah. and writing as you know becoming more and more taciturn I made her as a character, Addison as a character, more and more taciturn. Yeah. Now, the one part that I really enjoyed writing mm. was the, as you said, the relationship between Lexa, the silent yes. little sister, I'm, and I'm the doll, ask you Vesper more, believe me. <laughs> yes, it's Vesper Tyne. I love it. Uh, when she escaped from the zone, Lexa brought out her little doll with her, yeah. and she seems to have brought out a little sliver of the zone inside mm -hmm. the doll. Mm -hmm. You never quite find out mm -hmm. if Vesper Tyne is a is an imaginary friend yes yeah. or or is something real in there but um but there's this ongoing conversation between lexa and vespertine that happens in thought bubbles so addison's unaware of it and that's one of the reasons i wanted to do this book as a graphic novel is that in a, i think in a prose novel you really couldn't switch points of view that way you uh -huh. couldn't say Un unbeknownst to our protagonist yeah yeah <laughs> this conversation or it sounds happening. kind of wooden to have to do that <laughs> yeah it would be terrible you'd have yeah. to do you know, or you have to go out, launch into some weird like other font or a yeah, two yeah, column yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But in a comic book, you're going to have these layers of information, and the reader knows exactly what they're doing and yeah. exactly mm -hmm. how to um, how how to navigate this stuff. And and so that's that was the main reason at the beginning mm -hmm. why I wanted to do as a graphic novel is because so, I wanted this this conversation this this level of information that the that the protagonist herself mm -hmm. was not aware of. Yeah. Huh. Um. Uh, and dolls are creepy. Yes. It, well, the, the creepiness is scary. And I mean, that, there's another way, but I don't want to, I don't really want to issue spoilers, but there's a sort of another genre that enters uh, the book late in the, uh, late in it, as well as a geopolitical sort of element right. as well. I don't want to issue any spoilers, 
But I found that really intriguing too. But um, you're here with me, and I'll just leave that for the fans too. <laughs> I'll leave that for the fans to discover for themselves. So, but this is also volume one. So we've got another volume coming. Uh, is that going to uh, um, uh, finish got, it off? Or we are going to wrap things mm-hmm. up with just two volumes. Um, there may be some more storytelling to do in this world, but this story will be completely done at the end of two volumes. Oh, and there's, a, there's also the free comic book day prequel, which is uh, oh, kind that, of yeah. like part of the story, but mm-hmm. optional. Uh, because that outlines, uh, to an extent, like what was ha- what happened that night. Right, the, the night of the Three spill. years earlier, the yes, night of the uh, spill. You get a little cool. glimpse of that in the, in the free comic book day, which I'm sure you can sort of find... You know, it's it, free comic book day is over, but it, yeah, they're I'm bouncing sure. around. I'm sure they're the around there, yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, tell me more about your background in comics. I, I mean, I assume, are you a fan? Uh, did you, were you just trying to get new readers? Uh, what's your relationship to comics? I grew up reading Daredevil and yeah. Spider-Man, mostly. I was sure. a mm-hmm. huge Daredevil fan. I think mm-hmm. Daredevil has been incredibly influential oh, to the way I write because mm-hmm. he was a character who's blind. Is this the Frank Miller? Daredevil? Uh, oh, earlier than that. Oh, okay, all right, I'm, great, you know, great. I'm, yeah, yeah. I was born in 1963, okay, so I'm talking right. probably right. like 1974 okay. Daredevil. Sure, sure. Um, but just having a character who perceived the world completely differently, mm-hmm. you could hear yeah. uh-huh. people's heartbeats and you could tell if they were lying based on that kind of stuff. Sure, 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 sure. I, I think I've spent a lot of time writing characters who have a sensory or a superpowered mm-hmm. or some other kind of relationship to the world. That, that they make that they, they see it differently because mm-hmm. that to me is really super immersive yeah. when you're reading even you know prose and your character sees the world differently than everybody else it's one of the most it's one of the great one of the quickest ways to bring somebody into the character's head in a really interesting way so Daredevil was hugely important to me I like Spider-Man because I, I didn't know when I uh, read Spider-Man, that there was really a, a New York City like that. I grew up in flat <laughs> places. Uh-huh. You know, and Spider-Man would suck, you know, in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's nothing to swing yeah. from. And I remember getting to Times Square and saying, there are really gargoyles on the buildings like that you could sit on. Yeah. And so I've always lived, um, I've always lived since I moved to New York on like the sixth or seventh floor, which mm-hmm. is kind of Spider-Man height. Yeah. Like not Superman height, which is like the yeah, 24th sure, floor. Sure, sure. And not like, you know, Batman <laughs> height, which is, you know, down in the cars. I'm talking about that. Like, I love that zone of the city and that, that, that yeah. sense of space and airiness, but still connected to the ground. Yeah. Um, and I, and I didn't read comics for a while. Until I came back to it with manga, sort sure, of during the manga yes, explosion sure. about sure. 10, 15 years ago. Sure. Um, started reading Nana mm-hmm. and sure. um, Monster, yeah. Death Note. Yeah, yeah. All these are all. Uh, they, they, that's sort of my own manga transformation because I grew up obviously a superhero fan right. and loved uh, Marvel comics for the, some of the same reasons you're mentioning. Uh, because of this, my family used to come to New York all the time, and I was fascinated by New York. I'm from Washington D.C. Oh, right. But uh, it was really this imagine this New York of superheroes, and the, how the landscape facilitated. Right. They had this whole thing called the rooftop highway. That's what yeah, they call yes, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, we, so we found across I, I can the, connect with uh, with the same kind of things that you know. But and manga, and I, and I think. Authors like you doing books like this is, are another one of the things that are expanding the American notion of what a comic is. I mean, we love our superhero comics, but they get a little bit too, they can kind of blot out the sun yeah. uh, right. <laughs> in this country, not anywhere else. But what we're seeing now here, I think, is a great uh, sort of uh, repositioning of the, of, the, uh, of the comics marketplace now to a much broader, where superheroes have their place. And uh, this this kind of 
book, this kind of thriller, post-apocalyptic, creepy, horror. I don't, you know, I, you know, I can, I can put more facets, as many facets as you'd like, on my description of it. Uh, it this is one of the great things about comics right now uh, that uh, authors like you are working in it to, to create a different kind of comic. Yeah. Well, and I think you know, without manga having come in, come in and mm -hmm. invaded and like created all these new. Um, readers, but also new creators, new yeah. people who are who draw in a different way and who pace mm -hmm. their work in a different way, mm -hmm. and also it got a lot more uh, girls involved because absolutely you know, American superhero comics had sort of just gradually pushed women yeah. into, into boxes that they didn't want to be in, and refrigerators and and, and body <laughs> yes. shapes that yes. that were not welcoming, yeah. and suddenly this entirely full fledged culture of comics that was totally inclusive with women just landed exactly. on us and it was nothing could have been better for, for our long-term development absolutely and it was a bookstore comics phenomenon too i mean it really grew in the book trade right where of course obviously we're like you know we're comic shop people uh, which has its issues yeah uh, yeah sure so uh so we're in a good place right now for comics uh now when does volume two of spill zone come out in so July, we can get our fix. Yeah, in July 2018, okay. so a year from now, it will come out, hopefully in time for Comic-Con. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and I'm just finished with script. I just got the last set of thumbnails from Alex, so he's proceeding ahead. He's on schedule. Great. Uh, well, look, this has been really good talking to you. I was, uh, I really love the book. I can't wait to see volume two. And you've got a great team around you. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Oh, and... Um, yes. There, you can read it on thespillzone.com. Oh, okay. It's uh, the, great. The entire first issue, I mean, the entire first volume is up. Oh, great. So you can sort of leaf through it and take a look. And we'll start serializing book two in, I think, October. So we'll that's be serializing awesome. yeah. it on the road to publication. Now, that's an interesting. I mean, some publishers uh, get the value of, of posting it online. Some don't. So I, I, that was very interesting. How that... Yeah. Is this something you suggested? Or? No, that, that also yeah. came from First Second. Really? I think a lot of the people who work there come from the webcomics world. And yeah. Understand it, web mm -hmm. comics. People go out and buy the physical copy they when do. it's done. Because I, I think it's a great idea. Comics. People love those, those, love those issues, love those collections. Yeah. You well, know? You, know, you, you know, it's nice to read it online, but you like having... I mean, comics is still something you want to hold in your hand. Right. And yeah. I don't want to wait for a, you know, a page to refresh yeah. when I'm reading either. <laughs> exactly. That's the worst. Exactly. Well, uh, look, Scott, this has been great to talk to you. I love the book. Can't wait for volume two. So thank you so much for Thank being you. on More to Come. Thank you very much. Hi, Welcome man. to More to Come, yeah. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Once again, we're on the floor of the San Diego Comic-Con International in San Diego. And now I'm at the Europe Comics booth, and I have the pleasure to be speaking with Jose... Munier, yeah, well, the uh, the uh, the artist, uh, and once again, uh, Monsieur Jean Dufault, legendary comics writer, um, who I had the pleasure to talk with on a panel yesterday. Welcome both of you to more to come. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, we had a great talk on the panel yesterday, and I'd, I'd love to ask uh, Dufault again to talk a little bit about the differences between American comics and uh, French or European comics. First, I learned very much thing here in San Diego, mm -hmm. because in Europe, when I think merchandising, I mm -hmm. think money. Mm -hmm. I know that money is necessary 
for mm-hmm. publisher, for production, for producer. Mm-hmm. Okay, but money sometimes ah, it's a problem for me. I was wrong because <laughs> I see here that merchandising is not only money. It's a part of our dream. Yes. Mm. To go in the street when <laughs> people, I see people here in San Diego mm. sitting uh, back on the wall, happy with merchandising, with with cards, <laughs> with uh, gift, with uh, yes. and this paper is Spider-Man, is X-Men, is uh, yes. <laughs> and they are, they are happy. I say, oh yes, now maybe I understand ah. what mean merchandising. It's not only money. It's a lesson for the European. Yes, it is. It it, it, it is. It's part of people's yeah. passion. Yeah, the passion mm. we we partage. Uh, we we share. We share we, the we. same passion, and they made story in her brain. These people, other stories, mm. with the same character, and mm. I like that because when I read books, I finish it 10, 12 pages. I stop, and I imagine the, the la suite, mm. the suite. The, the, next. the next pages mm-hmm. they do the same mm-hmm. they do the same they, they it's a big play yeah. yeah and I think it's really necessary in whole life mm-hmm. playing with the ima- the brain sure. the imaginary because mm-hmm. world without imaginary is maybe maybe too boring for us <laughs> um, I, I am curious you have uh, some comics in English or so spellbound. Yeah. Uh, could you tell our, our listeners a little bit about Spellbound and then we'll ask the artist to talk about it too. The artist speak about Spellbound because for me it's two months, three months to write it. Yeah. For him it's more and more work. <laughs> 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 I speak very badly to me now. Alright, alright. I'll try. That's okay. <laughs> so Spellbound is a fairy tale, uh-huh. a dark fairy tale uh-huh. uh, in the European way mm-hmm. in the sense of there are some sexy scenes and uh, violence and things mm-hmm. like that. But uh, for us, it's a kind of Disney movie, mm-hmm. uh, but done our way, yeah. which is much more hard and, uh, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, characters that are not uh, that uh, good uh, and not that able sure. always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's what we try to do. And uh, the story is told uh, in a very classical way, I mean, it's... Uh, and the, the graphics, uh, the, the, the art I did for this story is quite pictorial, even if, if it is caricatural and uh, funny in a way to look at, yeah. it is too quite pictorial and quite decorative. So. So this, it's the story of a, a young woman who has the, the burdens of the monarchy, like thrust on, thrust yeah. upon her. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, she, she met uh, the Prince of Abel uh-huh. uh, from, from the lands of... of, of Abel, I don't know. Of uh, hell. Of hell, yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh, and, yes. And, and they change roles in a way. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. uh, that's the main, the main uh, subject of the story. Darkness well, and light. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Well, uh, the art is very beautiful and and the story very engaging, and so you you, you want to follow it. Um, but once again, I'm also very interested in your reactions uh, to the American comic book experience. So. Mm-hmm. You, uh, I, was, I was fortunate to go to Angoulême last year, my first time. I've been hoping to go for many years. So it was really kind of a dream come true. And I was really uh, just breathtaking to see the, the love of all kinds of comics in French culture. Uh, 
Um, so I, I wanted, I'd love to hear, uh, to compare, what's your, how would you compare the San Diego Comic-Con to Angolim? Oh, <laughs> San Diego is a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> we are serious in Angolim. It's business here. It's business in Angolim. We don't must forget the business. But there are more books in Angolim. Yes. There are more merchandising in San Diego. <laughs> There's much more sun in San Diego, <laughs> and it's raining in Angoulême. <laughs> but it's creative, yeah. really creative. Uh, when I'm here, I don't know the the, the, art, the American artist. Yes, the classical, but mm. the new generation was a marvelous surprise for me. Uh. I didn't know this guy, this girl from 20, 25, 30 years with the patient. Mm-hmm. I think the patient is the same mm-hmm. in Angoulême and in San Diego. But here, the technique, mm-hmm. the visual effects are more accomplished, uh, uh, dominated. More sophisticated, more complex. Abouti. Abouti. Here, mm-hmm. that in European. Uh, in European, what with the brain, here more with pleasure. <laughs> The characters mm-hmm. is more evident here in San Diego than in France, mm-hmm. but we have the same uh, style for for mettre en scène, setting. for setting mm-hmm. the story, and we know American artists and European artists is a marvelous door to go to. Uh, a pure emotion mm-hmm. because money is not important when I work with Munuera. It's just a pencil, gum, paper, yeah. and you can do Game from Throne. Yeah. No problem. Uh, we have the chance, the privilege to work uh, without the problem of, of money in Europe and in America for the men and people who do uh, comics. The adaptation. To, uh, the cinema and the series are more sophisticated, mm. and I know because I I, I try um, I work uh, for the adaptation in Europe mm. of my series for TV or pictures. The money is so aussi also important mm. than the work, and it, that may be a part of pleasure that I see in the eyes of the creator here in Angoulême and in San Diego mm. of these people created. I am free. I am free in the comics. Yeah. I am free. I am free to, to go to go in the space. I am free to go mm-hmm. in my uh, in my vibration, my vibration, my emotion. I am free, and it's really important that we take this uh, freedom with us a long time, long time. No question of money. No question of mm-hmm. business. Let us free. Mm-hmm. And how would you compare? <laughs> oh well. <laughs> well, I think uh, San Diego convention is, is huger. It's, it's, uh, it's an enormous uh, convention, yeah. and I, it's I, I a circus. You yeah, might say. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it, and it's, it's great to see the people engagement, mm-hmm. uh, visiting the, the town, and uh, you know, get dressing, get, get cosplayed, sure. and and everything. And so it's quite impressive. It's just it's, it's just uh, much more spectacular than it, than, than it, Angoulême. It is a spectacle. Uh, but I do agree. I, I, one of the things I noted about Angoulême was that it's it's 
books. It's yeah. It's French comics center. is all books. I mean, I I write about the book trade yeah. uh, more than the you know the periodical mm. part of the business, yeah. uh, which is newer here, mm. uh, but growing and growing lots. Uh, but yeah. so. That was really exciting for me to be to visit Angolan to see that, yeah. uh, because that's what I I hope to see more of yeah. uh, in American comics. Yeah. One one of the differences maybe uh, that I can found is that while here comics are attached to to popular uh, mm -hmm. medias like movies and whatever, uh, in Europe uh, in Angolan in particular, comics are attached to art and culture sure. in, a, in an higher level, if I can uh, sure, say yeah. it, sure. you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So uh, they try to uh, open the mind of the reader to the high culture with yeah. the... Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So. yeah, I mean that that happens here, but it's overshadowed yeah. by all of this. <laughs> yeah, I understand it. Uh, but that is a part of American comics that you will hear much more about okay. going forward, because The world, the world in the, uh, of American comics is changing. Yeah, so. sure, sure. So, did you enjoy your trip? Fine. Yes, it was really, really great occasion for me. Mm. I have American friends here. Mm. They meet him here. I was really happy for that. Breakfast of America is one of the big in the yeah. world. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's not good for my health, yeah. but it's really good. Yeah, but yeah. it, yeah, it will fill but you up. <laughs> very fine uh, to meet a uh, creator. Young creator. Yes. That's what we want. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, look, uh, it's a great pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, come back. Um, we will do it. Uh, yes. Oh, sure. Yes. And you should take them to some of the smaller shows. You yes. know, to, yeah, as you were at SBX and yes, uh, MoCA, the TCAF, yes. you know, the, where you'll see a different kind of, a, of a North American yeah, comics okay. publishing. But thank you both, both for you being on For More to Come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Well, we're on the, uh, at the San Diego Comic-Con uh, International, and we're in the Diamond booth. That's Diamond Comics, the, uh, you know, the dominant uh, retailer for uh, comics in, in, the, in the country. Uh, and we're here with Josh Frankel, the founder and publisher of Z2 Comics. Uh, and you also have a partner, Shredder Reddy, who yeah. isn't, here, isn't here this weekend. Uh, but welcome to More to Come. Thanks for having me, Calvin. All right, so, um, uh, you know, I, I know Diamond uh, distributes your books, yep. uh, but, but, but first, before we talk, to, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Z2 Comics? Sure, so Z2 was founded uh, three to five years ago, depending on how you count. Mm -hmm. Okay. And basically, we started off just doing solely graphic novels, and my big thing is I like to focus on the art and the quality of the book more than anything else. So we did uh, Harvey P. Carr's Cleveland in conjunction mm -hmm, with Top yep. Shelf in 2012, which was just reprinted, by the way. Ah, mm -hmm. We did uh, Paul Pope's Escape Boat, Dean mm -hmm. Haspiel's Fear My Dear. We've done a bunch of other new books since then, mm -hmm. Legend, uh, Carver, A Pair of Story. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we've been, we have a very eclectic lineup. It's basically what I like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, also books, by because you've got a few other books. I mean, the book... Um, uh, uh, The jazz musician's book. Oh, uh, instrumental. Instrumental, which uh, I, I, which I really like. Uh, Jared Williams is doing a book. Has oh, done before. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just want to. You, you've got some really interesting titles out. Yeah. Well, and the big thing we're doing right now, which I can only talk about one of the books, is we we're kind of changing the focus to doing books with a musical component in. Yes, it. you mentioned it. So yeah, murder ballads. Right. So murder ballads is the 
Well, second one if you count instrumental. The first one because I picked up Murder Ballads before instrumental. Uh -huh, so, okay. Uh, murder Ballads is basically a modern day murder ballad set in Shreveport, Louisiana, mm -hmm. and it's about how far will you go to achieve your dream? It's about a down on luck as record executive who goes on a crime spree to fund a record, and it's mm -hmm. great. It's about race relations, like you know what you want to do, how far you're willing to go, what moral compromises you're willing to make. Written by this great writer named Gabe Soria. Mm -hmm. Drawn by Paul Reinwald and Chris Hunt. But the real kicker is there's a soundtrack by Dan Auerbach, who's the lead singer of the Black Keys, and a oh, yeah. blues man named Robert Finley. Uh -huh. So currently the first song from the book is debuted on Rolling Stone, got picked cool. up by Pitchfork Diffuser. We're getting great pre-order numbers. Great. You know, we think it's going to do very well. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about Instrumental, because I, I was very impressed with that book. And who's the artist? A guy named Dave Chisholm. So this was an interesting one. I wasn't sure how well Instrumental was going to do, believe it or not, mm -hmm. because... You know, it was kind of an esoteric book, and I thought mm -hmm. it was—I thought it was very good, but I didn't quite see the hook. But Dave was a friend. I said, "Look, I'll put your book out. Let's see how it does." And we've actually uh, blown through the first print run. Oh, great! So great. It's, it's a reprint's coming yeah. in a couple weeks. And it's also got a, a soundtrack that accompanies each chapter in the book. So Dave's a very accomplished jazz composer. Yeah, yeah. And he put a jazz soundtrack to the book. So it's technically our first or second soundtrack book, depending on how you look at it. Well, and it's essentially a paranormal jazz. Yeah. Yarn. I mean, it's very interesting about. It's, it's like a Faustian jazz. Yes, style. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so you're a small publisher, although you're um, uh, a very kind of very interesting and actually accomplished small publisher. You 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 got a distribution deal. Yep. You have Diamond Books. So what what have you been doing at Comic Con? Um, mainly meeting with buyers. Mm -hmm. So I met with you know Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Kino Cunia. Mm -hmm. uh, Ingram, a little less than last year because a few buyers aren't here. Uh -huh. um, then met some retailers, then creators, then mm -hmm. some people we have partnerships with. So I've actually had a pretty full dance card. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't table here yeah. mainly because I do almost everything for the company, yeah, right. my business partner. <laughs> so to run a table here and do you know six hours of meetings a day would be mm -hmm. suicide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? What's your take on Comic Con? I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I personally, I mean, it's become a way more of an intense experience. Yeah. Um, but I still find it's really exciting. I still discover great comics here. I, I have to say, this is my 11th Comic Con, and it's mm -hmm. been the same for about 10 years. Yeah. I mean, like, people who say, like, I miss how Comic Con used to be, you're talking about 15 years ago yeah. at the earliest. And really, it's like, it's about, you know, like, there's a huge media component here. You can't deny it. Like, people line up for toys, movies, other things. They line up for everything. <laughs> this is the line con. Right. <laughs> but there's, but I like what San Diego does because there's still a very robust comics presence. Yes, absolutely. And they make sure to have that. And some mm -hmm. cons don't do that. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's why I like San Diego. And also, it's right in the heart of the downtown, yeah. so you can go to drink very easily. Yeah, yes, this is Instead true. Of being at the which, is, which is going to probably happen pretty soon. Yep. Um, so is there anything coming up you want to talk about? Uh, too soon, projects too, uh, well, still undercover? So, I mean, well, so Murder Ballad, Instrumental and Murder Ballads are the first two of the lineup. Mm -hmm. I can't talk about these yet on record because we haven't announced them. Sure. But we have roughly three to four other music books we're already working on. Great. The next announcement comes in two weeks after Comic-Con because you don't want to announce something in Comic-Con because it's like, Yeah, because you know, it will get drowned by the latest, you know, move Movie. Of Netflix, of Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, imagine competing with Stranger Things too. So, yes, you know. yeah. <laughs> so we've got a lot of that coming up. We actually have some other good books we're working on. You know, it's it's surprisingly this is the first year where we're like going to well, we've been somewhat profitable before. We're going to turn a larger profit this oh, year, which is right, very nice. Great. Yeah, great. 
Well, look, that's great to hear, Josh. You know, I'm a big fan of what you're, you're the, doing. Well, I'm a big fan of you, Calvin. Yeah. Well, um, uh, well, we're we're it's a mutual admiration society. Um, so, look, thank you so much for being on More to Come, and of course, good luck to you. Thanks so much, Calvin. Yeah. Thanks for interviewing me. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com/slash. Comics. We are back on the floor of San Diego Comic Con, the biggest pop culture show in America. Uh, that's my uh, that's my DJ voice. <laughs> anyway, but we're we're at the Only Press booth now, and we're going to get a chance to talk with uh, publisher and founder Joe Nosmack and editor in chief James Lucas Jones. Uh, welcome to More to Come. Hi, thanks for having Well, you know, Only Press has always represented to me kind of, in some ways, the ideal of what we look for at Publishers Weekly. In comics, because we're in the book trade, uh, we love superhero comics. Don't get us wrong, but we're always looking for. Um, uh, we're always trying to translate the book trade for the comics market, and vice versa. Make sure that the book trade understands the comics market, and the comics market understands the book trade. Um, but uh, so I'd love to hear more about Oni. You guys have some wonderful authors. I pro- people probably will immediately recognize uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, of course, in the Scott Pilgrim series. But others, uh, Katie O'Neill's book uh, was a big deal at Book Expo. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I'm going to jump to Joe first, and then we'll, we'll get to James. Maybe you could tell us something about about yourself and the founding of uh, Only Press. Sure. Just knew I um, was looking for a business to start in 97. It seemed like an interesting time for the comic book industry after the kind of collector's collapse. Yes. So after mm-hmm. that, it was kind of, you know, I think there was room to, instead of, Comics is a collectible, comics is content. Um, and Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, for me, my inspiration was kind of Miramax Films because mm-hmm. I watched them take uh, independent and foreign films from, like, the art house and mm-hmm. school uh, theaters into the mainstream. And so I was hoping to do that with comics. To mm-hmm. do comics that could appeal to the core but could also appeal to... The mainstream person, you know, that uncle you have that likes spy novels. It's like, hey, here's this comic book from your country. I think you would like this. It's well sure. done, and it's probably as well written as some of the novels you're reading. Um, so that was kind of the, the the start of it, and what we wanted to do, and why we did some of the books we did, and the regions that we did, and you know, and again early on doing kids comics because you know as I was getting older, I was seeing you know more of a friend my age have kids, and I sure. wanted something for them to buy their kids when they went in weekly to get their comics. Um, something that didn't kind of talk down to the kids or wasn't just, mm-hmm. you know, Batman for kids, but was a book yeah. right from for, about them and for them from the start. And that's kind of when we kind of looked at doing kids' books. Well, the market has yeah. finally sort of caught up, exactly. Um, you know, uh, with your original plans. Uh, and I want to jump over to James. Now, you're editor-in-chief. Uh, give, give us some of your background in comics. Um, well, I've worked in a variety of capacities before coming over to Oni. I had, uh, had a to completely separate from comics career in uh, information technology before coming on board to Oni. But when I was in college, I had uh, managed a comic book store in Phoenix and had always just been a big fan of the medium and really uh, just enjoyed the, the craft of comics mm-hmm. and not necessarily tied to any specific genre or story, but just uh, or type of story, but just the medium itself uh, felt like such a breath of fresh air in terms of being a visual storytelling medium that could still almost have a little bit more of a authorship to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard in other the other big visual storytelling mediums, whether it's theater or film or television, is, are 
insanely collaborative where you have yeah. to have crews of, of <laughs> dozens if not hundreds of people yeah. to make it happen and there was something that was very appealing to me about comics that you know at its root could be you know one person with a pad of paper and a pen um, but even at its most collaborative we're talking like you know six or seven people on a creative team and that's at its most uh, sure. kind of segmented so being able to have that purity of vision in in comics and being able to tell them, you know, virtually any kind of story was just a real appealing uh, thing to me. Now, do you guys have a couple of imprints as well, or we have one imprint right yeah. now, mm-hmm. uh, which is the the Limerence okay, Press I've heard about, okay. uh, yeah. imprint, which we just launched last year. Yeah. It's a erotica and sex ed focused mm-hmm. uh, imprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, we launched it with Erica Moen uh, oh, sure. and mm-hmm. her Ojoy Sex Toy mm-hmm. series. Oh yeah, cool. Um, and then our our last our most recent project with it uh, was. Uh, bringing uh, multiple Eisner Award winner Colleen Coover's old uh, oh, older erotica work, uh, Small Favors, back into print after about a decade of being unavailable. Um, so how many titles a year does Oni put out? Um, for the book trade for, for next book. year, mm-hmm. we're uh, scheduled at about 60 titles. 60 titles? Yeah. Well, actually, I didn't realize you Publish that many. <laughs> yeah, sometimes neither do we. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it has all the collections of the floppies when you add yeah. it up mm-hmm. with original graphic novels and, yeah. and mm-hmm. reprints, bringing some stuff back for the 20th mm-hmm. anniversary. And, yeah, it's, it's and how big is your, uh, your the periodical, the floppy? Do all of your three. books come out in floppy first no. or no? Yeah, no, I didn't think so. Yeah. We're a mix. So, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. anywhere from. Uh, from one to, to two a week, usually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- not usually more than eight a month, mm-hmm. uh, floppy-wise, and sometimes as few as four. And who distributes you to the book trade? Uh, Diamond Books. Diamond Books, sure. Um, well, I, I'd love to know about, I mean, I, I mentioned, obviously, Brian Lee O'Malley. Um, I, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Scott Pilgrim. If I, this is an advertisement for myself. I reviewed the very first volume for PW. You know, if it's, I guess it's still online somewhere that they've reviewed. But, um, but maybe you could talk about some of the uh, some of the authors. Uh, yeah, you yeah. bet. Um, well, I mean, Brian has been such a big uh, oh, deal yeah. for us, and just he was one of the ones that, from the first moment that I I read his work, uh, I think the first thing I ever read from him was a, a comic that he was doing in like short bursts where he was trying to draw pages literally as quickly as possible and inking them with a sharpie and just posting yeah. them online. <laughs> And from that, we had brought him in to work with a couple, collaborate with a couple writers on different things um, for us, and then originally doing his first original graphic novel, Lost at Sea. Yeah, it's um, But yeah, I think for us, it's always finding that balance of working with the folks who are a little bit more established and proactive and, and have a, a reputation and, and just a really unique voice that we want to work with. Like, uh, one of our favorite guys to work with right now is Xander Cannon. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, who had won multiple Eisners for his work with Alan Moore and Gene Haw on Top mm-hmm. Ten. Uh, and his book for us, Kaiju Max, is just really like unlike anything else on the market. Yeah. Um, and then with new creators, like for, uh, breaking Katie O'Neill last yeah, year with yeah. Princess Princess Ever After. Yeah. The and talk then, of Book Expo. And then, yeah, her new book, uh, The <laughs> Two Dragon yes, Society. Yes, The Two Dragon Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a, a really big deal at Book mm-hmm. Expo. And, and uh, just, you know, continually trying to find new voices and, sure. and mm-hmm. uh, new talent uh, to bring to comics that maybe aren't getting the same opportunities from uh, the more traditional comic publishers. On that note, uh, I was very impressed. We did a short story about it last year, about this open call for submissions uh, that you did, and I guess just to find new creators. Yeah, I think that we had just, we had been talking a lot in editorial about uh, just worrying that our 
our creative pool had gotten a little bit stagnant. Um, we we were had been closed for submissions for at least ten years at that point. Um, we're really uh, relying a lot on creator referrals and kind of going out and finding folks through the networks that we already had established. And it just seemed like there was an opportunity to to kind of dig deeper and to really open the floodgates. And uh, I really credit um, our senior editor, Charlie Chu, and our managing editor, Ari Yarwood, and our editor, Robin Herrera, with really being the driving force behind uh, wanting to do the big uh, open call and open submission thing. Because that must have opened the floodgates. (laughs) As the only one of that crew who had ever actually worked a slush pile before, I I will fully admit I was uh, not as enthused. I was like, we're doing what? (laughs) But, you know, uh, I think out of um, almost 2,500 yeah, submissions, mm-hmm. we, we picked up not quite two dozen projects, but oh, really? way, way, way more than I thought we were going oh, to. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and honestly, for me, even if the only thing that we had acquired out of it uh, had been uh, Natalie Reese's Space Battle Lunchtime, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I still would have been happy yeah. because that book just brings <laughs> me such yeah, joy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's such a, a, a fun book to have in our library. Mm-hmm. And, and Natalie's just such a talented creator that we're excited to be in business with long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm curious just um, uh, where, if you've got some insights into the, the comics market right now, I mean, how important are books? Uh, are there trends you're seeing? I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but sure. I'm just I mean, curious. I think it's the obvious thing everyone's seeing. You know, there's a glut of product in the direct market, mm-hmm. especially in the floppies. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of growth in the book market, especially in the, the mm-hmm. YA and the youth one, which is exciting because, you know, as those people grow up, hopefully they keep reading comics and their kids read comics. You know, we're just going to see that side of things grow. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of, you know, making sure we're putting out books for everybody and trying to get the word out to them. You know, it's, uh, that's the challenge right now is, you know, there's just a glut of content in general, whether sure. it's video games, YouTube, TV. I mean, there's more good TV right now than, yeah. you know, and, and, ever I mean, been. The feature films. I yeah. Mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And so, you know, I think that's the biggest challenge right now is just how to compete with all the content out there and how to, to break through that that signal the noise about your book and get the word out, you know, and, and to also to um, empower the people that, that are like your work already to help you get the word out as well. That's really great. Now, on, a, on a more mundane note, just for our fans who are very curious about, you know, what it takes to, to, to set up a, an operation, we're in the middle of the, of the San Diego Convention Center. Uh, you know, the, you, have, you have signings going on. Uh, with owning artists, you've got like uh, you're selling books. You, uh, you, your your display seems to be also your shipping containers. I'm not sure if that's the case. It looks they look yeah. So I, I mean, I'd just be curious. What what's it take? I mean, how many people do you bring? When do you show up here? I mean, what's um, what are the logistics? Just briefly of. Uh, for uh, exhibiting at Comic Con. Well, we're we're very lucky. I mean, we we were such a small house for so long, mm-hmm. and um, you know, Joe and I have, have done this show. Uh, this is my twentieth uh, yeah. Comic Con, and um, we're lucky to have a really great team that that really takes a lot of the the planning off of our plates and and really makes everything sing. Uh, you're coming from Portland. Right? We're coming yeah. from Portland. Yeah. Uh, we bring a little over a dozen people down. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
usually in the past we've been small enough that it's been an all hands on deck. Yeah. Uh, this year is actually one of the first years where we haven't had to bring down everybody in order to feel like we could comfortably staff yeah. the booth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, three waves of people uh, starting on Monday mm-hmm. and then going as we get closer to the show, ramping up and getting more people mm-hmm. here on the floor to help uh, finish set up and uh, get things all straightened and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for us, the biggest thing is just the all the prep that leads into the show too mm-hmm. uh, and just having the time and the, the resources um, not just once we're on the floor but like the special product uh, that has to be you know both sourced and, and organized and mm-hmm. all, all of the logistics that go into that mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a lot of work I'm, um, yeah, I'm sure it, this is the Super Bowl of our industry in yeah. a lot of ways and, yeah. Um, yeah so we're all I think looking forward to uh, we we traditionally close the office the week after Comic-Con. Uh, <laughs> it's just pure recovery? Yeah, just, just for recovery. And everybody's still kind of working and checking email and yeah. staying on top of stuff and making sure that fires don't break out. But yeah. just to not have to, to be in the office after you know spending uh, 20 hours a day with our comrades who we love dearly, yeah. but who are maybe sick of hearing me yammer on uh, nonstop all day. Now, are your artists you, uh, on panels and programming? Your, I'm, very often, I'm sure that's the case. Yeah, yeah, we had a, a lot of uh, folks doing different uh, panels, both mm. artists and uh, employees, uh, having mm. folks, you know, not just through, one of the, the great things about this show is just how the programming and, and how the footprint of the con has grown, and not just yes. having, uh, you know, great things like our big Invader Zen panel that we did yes. yesterday mm-hmm. here at the show, where they filled the room, but also having uh, access to have... Uh, the, all the programming and all the San Diego libraries have been very yes, impressive so about a, adding been a, yeah, a library and educational and comics panel going on every day at yeah, the, uh, yeah not far from here mm-hmm. which is which is awesome yeah. we were lucky to have both creators and uh, one of our editors on some of those panels mm-hmm. and, and uh, yeah just really trying to take advantage of the opportunity to get the word out and uh, get folks excited about the books that we have and the books that we have coming up uh, well, look, I think that's the perfect uh, note to, to end on. Great. Thanks for giving us a little inside baseball on uh, getting to Comic-Con. <laughs> I mean, we, we talked about it. I mean, the, the show has become such a, uh, an incredible monster, but it's it's still a singular experience in comics. You know, I, I don't get excited till I get here now. I mean, I used to get really revved yeah. up. But, you know, it's still it's hard for me to imagine not being at Comic-Con while it was going on. So, yeah. yeah. But, look, thank you both, uh, Joe and James, for being on More to Come. Thanks. Right. Thank you for having us. Thank you.